goes right along with the message tonight as well. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. Now, when you say Leviticus, people sort of look at you sort of funny. And um, I had to take Leviticus in seminary, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I, uh, well, I didn't have to take it. But I chose to take it, and I dreaded it. Man, I dreaded it. And I'm going to be honest with you. After I got done with it, it was one of the absolute best classes I ever took in my entire life. And so Leviticus chapter 1 in your Bibles, and we're just going to sort of use this as a jumping board, and uh, we could pretty much camp out anywhere in the book of Leviticus and read, and it would sound sort of similar to what we're going to read here tonight. And so I want to talk to you about this subject, what's so wonderful about worship. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to give you one point tonight, and uh, I've got several. And uh, preachers, a lot of times preachers have they have favorite points that they want to get to. And I wanted to get to point number two tonight. And, uh, but the Lord, I don't think the Lord wanted me to get to point number two tonight. And uh, because point number one got pretty long. And you're probably glad I'm not going to get to point two tonight as well. And so, but when we get to point two, it's going to be good. And, and I'm, I hope that you'll be here to hear this out. So for the next two weeks, maybe the next three weeks, we're going to take a little time on Wednesday night and we're going to talk about this subject, what's so wonderful about worship? We hear a lot of talk today about worship. And, uh, and so we're going to try to talk to you a little bit about what the Bible says about worship. And, uh, and, and at least tonight, specifically some of the Old Testament worship. So Leviticus chapter 1 in your Bibles, when you find your place, if you're able to stand, let's all stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Leviticus chapter number 1, and look at verse number 1. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards... And his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. You may be seated. Now, we just read some very important scripture, and I'm going to be honest with you, the, um, probably the question would be, at least in our modern day world, would be pastor what in the world does that have to do with me? 
And so, as I mentioned this Sunday, there are some who say, we don't even need the Old Testament anymore. We, just, we, we can just put the Old Testament, put it away, and we're just going to use the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament's no longer relevant. It's no longer important. And you would hear some who would say, especially if you're reading out of the book of Leviticus, who would say, boy, that's, that's true, that Leviticus is no longer relevant, and we don't need that. But boy, how many know that the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, the Bible says. And so we know that there's, there's a reason that God has given us his Old Testament and there's a reason that God has given us his New Testament. You've heard me often say that the Old Testament is an illustration of New Testament truth. And that's very, that's very true. But I, I purposely wanted to use the book of Leviticus. Now we're going to, to use some New Testament tonight, but I purposely wanted to use the, 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 uh, the book, book of Leviticus to try to make a point. Uh, and, uh, and so anyway, we're going to talk to you tonight and we'll just get through the first point. I'll give you a couple sub points, but we're just going to give you really just one point tonight and then we'll break and then we'll come back Lord willing next Wednesday night. And we're going to, uh, further this on just a little bit more, but I think, I really think that this is going to be beneficial to our church. It's going to be helpful to you, I think. And so, uh, I'm going to, if you'll give me a little grace, I'm going to pay a little, pretty, pretty good attention to my notes tonight. I've got a lot I want to give you, but we can do it in 30 minutes. I believe that without a doubt tonight. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll ask the Lord to help us this evening. Father, we thank you for your blessings and Lord, thank you for Wednesday night. And Lord, here again, to me at least, it seems like the service has been going about 100 mile an hour. And it doesn't seem like it's time for me to be up here teaching the Bible yet. But be that as it may, I am. And, and so, Lord, I pray that uh, our hearts have been helped. And, and I pray that our hearts have been encouraged through the music and the singing and the uh, offering. And, uh, Lord, I pray now that we're ready to receive what you have for us from the Word of God. Lord, you know, you do know this, that I have prayed and asked you to help me not to miss your will tonight. And Lord, you also know I wanted to hurry things on and get to that second point. But Lord, I really believe this first point way too important, way too important to rush through. And so Lord, because of that, we're going to slow down just a little and we're going to focus on this first great truth. And then Lord willing, if it's your will, we'll get into the next one. Uh, next Wednesday night. And so, Spirit of God, give us power now. Not only me, but, oh, God, would you give the people of God power. And, Lord, give us energy to listen. And I pray all that's done would honor Christ and glorify him in a great, great way. We love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake and glory, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Have you ever done this? Have you ever read, especially the first few books of the Bible, and have you ever, ever wondered, why does the Bible make such a huge issue and go into so, so much intricate, and it really is intricate, <laughs> intricate detail concerning the worship of the Hebrew people? You know, here again, I go back to what I said just a moment ago. I guess uh, people would say this, what's that got to do with me? What does, you know, the sacrifice and the worship of, of people that lived thousands of years ago, men like Moses and Aaron and, 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 and people like that. Preacher, what in the world does all of that have to do with 2022? What does all of that have to do with Calvary Baptist Church? I mean, how can that, how can that even be 
even remotely relevant for this day and time. And I believe I'm going to, I hope at least, that I'm going to tell you how it's all very, very important. Worship. And so the Bible does go into a lot of detail concerning the worship of the Hebrew people. For instance, the very theme of the book of Exodus is basically this, God freeing his people. But not just freeing his people, but freeing his people so they would have the opportunity to worship. That's really what it's all about. It wasn't just an exodus from Egypt. They, they did uh, you know, there was a mass exodus from Egypt, but if you go back and read the book of Exodus, there was a purpose for that exodus. And the purpose is so God could call his people out of Egypt and so they could go and worship. Remember, remember what Pharaoh said? You can worship, but stay here and worship. <laughs> and God wasn't interested in that at all. And so the whole book of Exodus, really, that's, that's the theme. And then we get to the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is practically an entire book that is set aside for the purpose of directing Israel concerning their worship. If you, uh, it starts in chapter number one, goes all the way through chapter number 27. And I know sometimes when you're reading through, through your Bible, you, you, you start reading in, in Leviticus. And if you're not careful, you'll sort of get that glazed over, you know, you'll, that glazed over look. And, and you're thinking, man, what in the world, pastor? What, you know, I don't understand how this is helping me, but please understand something. The Bible is always helpful. And so it's, it, it's, it's very important that you read it. The word worship is used in 18 Old Testament books, and the word worship is mentioned at least 102 times throughout Scripture. Now, let me give you something that might be a little helpful for you to understand concerning the worship of the Hebrew people. What we need to understand is that much of what we read in the Old Testament books was considered what we call ceremonial law ceremonial law, and it was given specifically to the nation of Israel. It was between them and God. And so some of the ceremonial law that God gave to Israel doesn't have, it doesn't, doesn't have any relevance to your life, your Christian life. But again, stay with me because we're going somewhere. God instituted this ceremonial law and you say, Pastor, I don't even know what that is. Hang in there. We're going to get there in just a moment. But God instituted this ceremonial law as a way of separating the Hebrew people from everyone else in the world. And that's what it was, that, that's what it was all about. For instance, the Hebrew people had laws. They had all kinds of laws. They had, for instance, they had dietary laws. There were some animals that Hebrew people were not allowed to eat. There were some types of fish that the Hebrew people were not allowed to eat. Uh, there, were, there were others that uh, they could eat and the, some that they were forbidden to eat. Then on top of that, they had certain ways they had to cook. They were not allowed. And by the way, a lot of Jewish people to this day, they still practice that. When my wife and I were on our way to, they call it kosher. Y'all have heard that. Uh, we were on our way to Israel and uh, uh, and uh, a big giant plane. And, uh, and one of the things that they do first on the plane is they serve all the Jewish people first. And so if, you're, if you are concerned about um, discrimination, you might not want to make that trip to Israel. And so uh, they served all the kosher first, and, uh, and then after that, they served uh, all the Gentiles after that on, uh, on the plane. The reason for that is because even still to this day, those Jewish people observe those dietary laws, some of those dietary laws. For instance, you're not going to go... Uh, in downtown Jerusalem, uh, you're not going to go to Jerusalem and say, yeah, give me a cheeseburger. Not going to happen. 
uh, they would never put cheese with meat. And uh, now you can add that, I guess, but it'd be something that you'd have to do on your own. Again, there's those dietary laws. They not only had dietary laws, they had seasonal laws. They not only had seasonal laws, they had dress laws. They had to dress a certain way. Now, again, don't forget what I said. The Old Testament is an illustration of New Testament truth. So, so there's a lot of these things. And when I start talking real, real fast, I start getting my words all messed up. But I've got so much I want to give you. And, uh, but uh, dress laws. The, the, the Hebrew people, because they were God's chosen people, they were to look different than anybody else in the world. And so that's why the Egyptians had a certain look. They trimmed their beards a certain way. They cut their hair a certain way. And when God came to this place, he said, I don't want you doing that. I don't want you to look like an, an Egyptian. By the way, in a, uh, Egypt was always a picture of the world. Well, there is a lot of connections here, isn't there? And so God came to the, to the uh, Hebrew people and he said, I want you to eat different. I want you to cook different. I want you to have different seasons. I want you to observe different days. I want you to, to have different to dress laws. I want you to have different moral laws. Now, it was ceremonial law. We're not under the law anymore. And so we don't observe those ceremonial laws. For instance, the Jewish people were required to keep the Sabbath. People say, Pastor, why don't we go to church on Saturday at Calvary? Because we're no longer under those ceremonial laws. And the Sabbath was a part of the ceremonial law. It was a, it was a covenant between God Almighty and the Hebrew people. Now, here's what I, I said all that to say this, though. All of those specific laws were a tool to set the Israelites apart for worship of the one true God. You see, one, of the, one thing that, that we maybe missed back in this day and time, the Hebrew people were, uh, were monotheistic. In other words, they believed in the one true God. Nobody else did. Everybody else believed there were many gods, all kind of gods. And God said, listen, I want you to live different. I want you to look different. I want you to stand out. I want you to be peculiar, a peculiar nation. And, 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 and the reason is because I'm setting you apart for worship of the one true God. So again, I guess the natural human response would be, preacher, what does their worship have to do with me as a Christian? And the answer to that is this. It actually has everything in the world to do with you. You see, God was laying the groundwork then for all future worship now, regardless of whether you are a Jew or you are a Gentile. Let me give you some thoughts tonight about this thing of worship. How about this? Number one, we, we learn from this. We learn that worship was enormously important. It was enormously important. Somebody says, preacher, why does the Bible go, go into so much incredible detail? And it does, it does. And a lot of times when you're reading those Old Testament books, it's just like detail after detail. It, you know, sometimes, uh, and it shouldn't be this way, but sometimes it's like, well, you've got to really force yourself to, to read through these books because it is just incredible detail. For instance, Exodus chapter 35 through Exodus chapter 40, uh, it, it gives us uh, the details concerning the construction 
and the furnishing of the tabernacle. And God goes into amazing detail and he says, Moses, I want it exactly like this. I want it exactly like this. I want you to do exactly. And by the way, Moses had no wiggle room at all. He had to do exactly what God told him to do, detail by detail by detail. And then when you finish Exodus, when you get to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter one through Leviticus chapter 27, uh, details the sacrificial offering of worship, what the offering had to be, what, uh, how old it had to be. It had to be without blemish, uh, how the priests were going, to, uh, were going to process it. And so much of the Old Testament deals with what we would label as worship. Now, here's the question, though. Why was their worship so important? And so I'm gonna give you two thoughts tonight, and we're gonna be done. Number one, we notice this worship encompassed God's redemptive plan. Or if I could use, uh, instead of encompassed, I'll use this word, a picture. Worship was a picture of God's redemptive plan. Now again, stay with me, stay with me tonight. The Old Testament, Francis, the Old Testament tabernacle itself was a picture. And it was a picture, you say, Pastor, what was it a picture of? It was a picture of Christ. (laughs) All those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, that Old Testament tabernacle that was erected out there in the wilderness was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you some correlations here. So, for instance, on the outside of the tabernacle, uh, honestly, if you, if, if you could go back and you could see the Old Testament tabernacle, you would notice this, that it really didn't look like anything special. It was basically a tent covered with animal skins. And so if you, could, if you could have been back in that day and you'd have walked up to the tabernacle, you would have saw a tent that was covered with badger skins and, and ram's skins dyed red. And so the tabernacle was not necessarily pleasing to the eyes on the outside, but get this now, but what was on the inside of the tabernacle was incredibly beautiful and costly. Now, what was on the outside didn't look like a lot, but what was on the inside was considered extremely, extremely holy. In fact, Brother Looney made reference to this on Sunday morning in our Sunday school class. That priest could only enter the Holy of Holies in that one time a year. And when he did, he had to be, he had to be uh, uh, incredibly clean and make sure that his life was right because when he entered into the Holy of Holies, if he wasn't right with God, God would kill him. Because it was considered holy inside that tabernacle was gold and linen and tapestry and uh, purity. Uh, I thought about Isaiah 53 too, where Isaiah the prophet prophesied of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said there, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. About the Lord, it says, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, if you could go back and you could see the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not sure that Christ would have been greatly handsome. I don't know that, that, uh, I don't know that, that Christ would have, if you would have saw him, you'd have thought, wow, I mean, that he's amazing. I don't, I don't, I really don't think that would have happened. The Bible says he had no form of comeliness that you should desire him. He didn't stand out. He, that means he wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, any more handsome than anybody else was. Uh, And so what was on the outside didn't look like a lot, but the Bible says that Jesus was, in fact, the incarnation. He was the son of God, the son of the living God. And so what was on the outside didn't look like much, but brother, what was on the inside was amazing. 
Again, there's that, there's that picture of the tabernacle. The tabernacle had a gate. That gate was a picture of Christ being the door to eternal life. John chapter 10, verse number nine, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. I thought about the brazen altar. The brazen altar was that place of sacrifice where the lamb would be totally consumed, a picture of the sacrificial cross. And by the way, uh, with, at that brazen altar, the fire never went out. It is a picture of an eternal salvation. The brazen laver is a, is a place where the priest would stop and they would wash up. And that brazen laver is a picture of Christ being the water of life and cleansing us of our sin. There was a candlestick within the, within the tent, the menorah, and within the, within the tabernacle. And it was a picture of the light of Christ. The showbread was a picture of Christ being the bread of life. The lamb that was slain was a picture of the future lamb, Jesus Christ. The high priest that functioned in the tabernacle was a picture of Christ becoming our future high priest. Again, this is what I'm saying. It was all a picture. Somebody says, preacher, none of that stuff's important. Oh, yes, it is important. And now it may be hard to read. And it may be hard at times to understand. But we, what we've got to understand is this, that, that all of those things that God put in there are a type. And they're a type of Jesus Christ. And how about this church? Think about this, and as you read through Exodus and you read through the book of Leviticus, you'll find out that the sacrifice under the Mosaic law was almost violent in its practice. You say, what do you mean, pastor? They would bring a lamb, a lamb, a little lamb. Boy, there's nothing more cute than a little lamb. Isn't that true? I mean, they're cute. Now, sheep, when sheep get up, sheep are sort of dumb, you know, and they, and they're, they are, are sort of cantankerous, but that lamb is just so cute. And yet that priest would take that lamb and slit its throat and sacrifice that lamb. There were times when families couldn't bring a lamb, so they were allowed to bring a dove or a bird. Did you know the Bible says that when that, when that dad would bring that bird to the tabernacle, that priest was to take the crop, he was to take the, the feathers of that bird, and he was to pluck the feathers out. And then he was, to, uh, he was to, to, to cut that bird and listen to this. And then he would literally wring out the blood. First of all, he would wring its head off. And then he would wring out the blood of this sacrificial bird. Now you say, Pastor, why was this so, why was it so violent? You know why? Because it is a picture. A picture of what? A picture of the intensity of the cross. We see these renditions, these pictures in people's homes of some Italian artist who draws a picture of what he thinks Christ looked like at the crucifixion. And he's got, you know, a crown of thorns on his head and he's got this heavenly look on his face and he's got a trickle of blood here and a trickle of blood there. I want to tell you something, my dear friend, that is not accurate even in the least. In fact, Isaiah the prophet said about the crucif crucified Lord that his visage was so marred more than any man. In other words, it's, it's a, there's a very good possibility that when Jesus died on the cross that they had so abused his body that he didn't even appear to be a human being anymore. 
And so when we read through this, we read through Exodus, read through Leviticus, and we're reading all these things. What is it, preacher? It's a picture uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 50, verse 6 says it like this. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. But now there's something we need to understand. This worship was a picture of God's redemptive plan. Now, let me tell you what this tells us, church, and this is important, we're, and we're about done with this first little subpoint, but listen to what this means. It basically means this, that Christ was the theme of everything they did. The candlestick, the showbread, the gate, the sacrifice, the lamb, the high priest, the, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat, the veil, the altar of incense, Every, everything had a purpose. And, it, 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 and, and here's the thing. The common theme, the things that, that, that all of these things pictured was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the focal point. Now, you say, Pastor, okay, all right. What does that have to do with us? I'll tell you, it has a lot to do with us because in our worship at Calvary Baptist Church, he ought to be the theme of everything we do. Everything we do. I mean, every song we sing, he ought to be the focus, focal point. Every, uh, every time we play an instrument, he ought to be the theme. Every message we preach, he ought to be the theme. Every Sunday school lesson that we teach, he ought to be the theme. Every time we shake a hand or invite somebody to come or whatever we do at Calvary Baptist Church, I'm just telling us this, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the central focus point of every single thing that we do. Listen, whatever we do, I'm talking about collectively as a church, whatever we do on Sunday, it ought to showcase him and never us. If we get up here to showcase ourselves, we have missed it. Because this thing is not about us. It's all about him. Man, I found a story. Listen to this. How many, how many, how many of you know how, who uh, Johnny Erickson Tata is? Yeah. So most of you know Johnny Erickson Tata had a terrible accident, and it left her a quadriplegic. In spite of her physical limitations, she became an accomplished author and artist. Over 25 years ago, she married her husband, Ken, and for her wedding, she had planned to come down the center aisle in her motorized wheelchair. Just before her grand entrance, she noticed two distressing problems. First, she had rolled over her beautiful gown and made a big grease spot and tear in it. Then the flowers in her lap had slipped and lodged between her leg and the chair. Now, she, she could not pick them back up, she was filled with disappointment. And then suddenly the doors to the auditorium opened and she saw her husband-to-be. Here was the man who was committing his love and his life to her. Johnny later said, once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting uh, a little askew on my lap, the fact that my dress didn't fall right because I was sitting in a wheelchair, the grease marks, the rip in my gown, all of it paled in comparison. And when we see Christ, he will be all that matters to us. Amen. And you know what, Calvary, I read that story this week and I thought, man, you know what, every time we walk into this place, the only thing that ought to matter is him. Is him. He ought to be 
the focal point of our worship. Everything we do, listen, choir. Let me, let me help you tonight. When you get up in this choir, don't you mess around. Man, you get up in this choir and give it 155%. Why? Because it's all about him. That's why. Hey, ushers, when you, oh, you say, well, I don't do anything. I just, I just usher. That's all that I do. Are you kidding me? That's all that you do? Listen, if you serve as an usher at Calvary Baptist Church, every time you usher, man, you ought to do your dead level best. Why? Because it's all about him. If you're a hospitality team member and you're greeting and meeting and shaking hands, you ought to do the best that you can. If you're a preacher around here and you preach occasionally or you teach a Sunday school class or, or you serve in a ministry, this is all I'm saying. Every thing we do, we ought to do to the very best of our ability. Why? Because it's not about you and it's not about me, but thank God it's all about him. And so what's the big deal, pastor? Why does the Bible go into so much detail about their worship? Well, number one, worship encompassed God's redemptive plan. But how about this next thing? Number next is this worship encouraged the presence of God. Now, follow me tonight. Whenever the people of God involved themselves in biblical worship, you know what happened? God showed up. Can I show that to you? Would you take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Numbers? If you're in Leviticus, you don't have very far to go. And uh, turn right and go a few pages to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. And look at verse number 15 with me tonight. Numbers chapter nine. Boy, interesting. Whenever the people of God started worshiping, God would manifest himself among them. Look, look what I'm talking about. Numbers chapter nine and verse number 15. The Bible says, and on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. We talked about that cloud Sunday. Y'all remember that? Namely, the tent of the testimony, and at even there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. And man, I love the next four words. And the Bible says, so it was always. Wow. Man. Wouldn't it be great if we could say about Calvary Baptist Church, so it was always. That every time you walk in here, you feel the presence of God. That's what they're saying. And so it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Now, let me show you something that's pretty neat here tonight. It's interesting to note that even though the location of worship changed through the years and the mode of worship changed. When I say mode of worship, I'm talking about the Israelites went from a rustic tabernacle to a beautiful, and I mean beautiful, temple. But the motive for worship, listen to this now, and the result of worship remained exactly the same. Turn over with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Now, in Numbers chapter 9, they've just erected the old, the, the tabernacle. Badger skins, ram skins dyed red. It looks pretty rustic. But now we're 500 years in the future. And Solomon has built a house for God, a temple. Oh, it's beautiful. Knock your socks off. I mean, it's just ornate and detailed and, and just, just gold and silver. And it, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And look what happens when they start worshiping, though. Second Chronicles 5, 
in verse 13, 2 Chronicles 5, verse number 13. The Bible says it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard and praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Look what happened, church, that then the house was filled with a cloud. Hmm. I think we read about that in Numbers chapter 9. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. Look at verse 14. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Wow. Wouldn't that be something? If God's glory so filled this place, and we just had to stop. By the way, that's happened sometimes, hasn't it? Now, we no longer are living under that Mosaic law. And we don't worship with the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that. We don't worship with the shedding of blood. We worship because of the shedding of blood. Did y'all get that? We, don't, we, we no longer worship with the shedding of blood. We worship because of the shedding of blood. But as we worship, you know what happens? Just as it did back in that day. You say, Pastor, what does that have anything to do with me? Just like the presence of God showed up back at the tabernacle and the presence of God showed up at the temple, even in these New Testament days, if we will worship the Lord and make this service about him and make this church about him and not about us and not about you, guess what happens? Just like he did then, his presence shows up now. Psalm 22, 3, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. After attending a church one Sunday, a little boy knelt at his bedside that night and prayed this, dear God, we had a good time at church today, but I wish you'd have been there. And boy, you know, I'm afraid it's like, like that a lot in churches. They sort of go through all the motions and all the liturgies and all the things that they normally do. And yet, God, God's presence was never there. I love Vance Havner. He's one of my absolute favorites. Vance Havner used to say, church often starts at 11 o'clock sharp and ends at 12 o'clock dull. It's true, isn't it? And you know what? That's how it is when the presence of God is void in a service. When God doesn't show up, you just have a service. That's all you have. But when God shows up, lives get changed and souls get saved. Someone said it like this. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. Now, you have to go back and watch this on live stream to get this. You'll get it on the slow train tomorrow. William Temple said, for worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It's the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of, his, of will to his purpose, 
And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. I do a lot of polls, or read a lot of polls, and I found this in his book, Experience God in Worship, Christian author George Barna. We hear about the Barna uh, polls. George Barna says the main reason millions of people in America go to church every week is not to worship God, but is instead to have a pleasing experience. He goes on to say that, quote, most Americans go to church to satisfy or please themselves, not to honor or please God. Amazingly, few of the people that Barna's research team interviewed said that worship is something that they do primarily for God. Instead, instead, a much larger percentage of those who attend worship services on a regular basis claim that they do so for personal benefit and pleasure. And he said here, this is something that has got to change. We must forget about ourselves and concentrate on him. He must be the primary focus of our worship. Now, I'm not going to tell you that we score an A on this, but I can tell you this, we want to. We want to. And I believe I can tell you this, if there is something different at Calvary Baptist Church, and I believe there is, one of the reasons is because we have decided we're going to make it about him. We're going to make everything we, make, we do, we're going to make it about him. We want, to, we want this to be a Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting place and nothing else. Amen? The importance of worship. Listen, we're going to go a little further next Wednesday, Lord willing. So let's bow our heads tonight, and I appreciate you being in the Lord's house. I want to ask a question or two before we go tonight. First of all, how many are here tonight? And you'd say, preacher, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved and going to heaven when I die. If that's you, you just raise your hand up and just worship the Lord tonight. Amen. That's a blessing. Thank you. You can lower your hands. Let me ask you this, though. And I know this is a Wednesday night, but I wonder if there may be one here tonight anywhere who would say, pastor, if I died tonight, I am not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. Preacher, I want to go to heaven. I do not want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but I'm just not sure that I would. And I care enough to slip up my hand and let you pray for me. And I just wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed and in the quietness of this moment, if there might be one here tonight anywhere who would say, Pastor, that's me. If I died tonight, I hope I don't, but if I died tonight, I'm not sure I'd go. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to come back and embarrass you or drag you down this aisle. I've never done that. But I do want to pray for you. And, I, and you'd say, Pastor, it's me. Would you remember me tonight in your prayers? And right now, you'd slip your hand up and just let me pray for you. Is there one anywhere? Can I pray for you? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure about heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there one? Just raise it up. God bless you. Thank you. Is there another anywhere tonight? Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure about heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody else? Can I pray for you tonight? 
Oh, I want to tell you, Wednesday night's a good night to come to Jesus. It's a good night. Anybody else? Can I pray for you tonight? Can I ask you this question, church? Are you worshiping? You say, Pastor, I came to church Sunday, and by the way, thank God for that. I'm so glad you came. But how many know that Sunday should not be our only worship service? We ought to be worshiping Him every single day. Every day we ought to be worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you're here tonight and you'd say, Pastor, I have not been involved in worship like I should, then I'm going I'm to encourage you to maybe in just a moment tip down to this old-fashioned altar and just tonight pray and say, Lord, would you help me in my worship of you? Would you help me to do better in my worship? I'm going to encourage you to come tonight. Pastor, I need to rededicate my life to Christ as we start this brand new year, 2022. I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. Hey, listen, this invitation is going to be just for you. Pastor, we, uh, we feel at God's will that we join with Calvary Baptist Church. God's been dealing with our heart. Well, tonight's a good night. Preacher, I've been saved, but I've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Why don't you come tonight and make yourself a candidate for believer's baptism? Would you stand with us all over the house tonight? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're watching by way of live stream, we're so delighted to have you watching tonight. We have some wonderful people that are standing right beside the phone right now. And if you have a need, we would love to take your call. If you'll call that number on the bottom of your screen, 704-327-5662. And especially if you need Christ, oh, listen, we would love to share Christ with you tonight. Would you call right now? And I promise you, by God's grace, we'll pick up the phone. We'll answer tonight. And we would love to help you this evening. Father, I pray that you'll bless in this time of invitation. Father, I pray for these that are in need of salvation. That, Lord, tonight would be the night. Lord, that, that you would give them understanding. And, Heavenly Father, that you would draw them to yourself. And, Lord, Lord tonight, that they would give their heart to Christ in faith, believing and then, Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us to be people of worship. Oh, God. And, Lord, help us not just to worship on Sunday, but help us to worship on Monday and all throughout the week. Father, help us and teach us some things about worship. And, God, help us to be worshipful people. Lord, to give you praise, to bow before your greatness. And, Heavenly Father, I pray that Calvary Baptist Church might be a place where Christ is always exalted. Lord, I pray that every service will always be about Him and not about anybody or any personality, but it will always be about the Lord. Father, have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts, I pray, and we thank you in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our personal workers if they would just very quietly slip out and make their way to the front tonight. And if you're here this evening, and you have a, a spiritual need, if you raise your hand, there's a need of salvation, or you need prayer tonight, hey, we're going to have some folks up here in the front with Bibles in their hands, and uh, we would love for you to come tonight, and we'd love to pray with you, all right? While we wait, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you have a need, would you come while we wait tonight?
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Uh, listen, times are early. It's not late at all tonight. You say, Pastor, it's a Wednesday night. All I'm going to tell you, a Wednesday night is a great night to make a decision for Christ. If you're here tonight and there's a need, listen, would you come? Would you come? We've got some folks who would love to help you tonight. I promise you this, we'll not embarrass you, we'll not make you give a speech or something like that. Sometimes the devil will tell you things like that. He'll say, well, if I do that, I'll be so embarrassed, or that preacher will embarrass me. We won't embarrass you. We just, we just like to help you tonight. So while we pause, just for another moment or so, would you come while we wait? Hey, we're going to sing this little chorus that says, He touched me. Most of you know this. And so let's sing it a time or two before we leave tonight, all right? Let's sing it, Calvary. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. God's still working. Let's sing it again. He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Aren't you glad? Something wonderful happened and now I know He touched me and made me. Hey, would you bow your heads with us just for another moment or so? It's 822. We always try to get you out of here at 830 if we can. It looks like we're going to beat that tonight. Can we just rejoice?